Endurance Church podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's message. Today's sermon is about signs. And for most of us, um, we may not necessarily believe in, in signs. Um, so we, we use the English word coincidences. And a lot of times we, we say that because we don't really th- think or see intelligence behind when certain things happen in the way they do. Um, for me, a long time ago, I tried to eliminate the term coincidence out of my vocabulary because not a biblical word, term, or philosophy, particularly not a Jewish way of thinking. And because of that, because our culture, we have things like maybe or, or coincidences, we have these different words that aren't necessarily translatable back in biblical times and concepts. The point is that in your life, sometimes you may have missed what God has been trying to communicate to you because you didn't have the, the lens, the vantage point of seeing your context through the eyes of biblical theology or through God's eyes. A lot of times God has done certain things in your life through signs. And because of that, we have maybe missed it. Now, sometimes we may have said, oh, that's cool. But, but, but those signs are often designed to let you know the direction you're going in. Are you going in the right direction? Are you going the right way? Do you need to stop? Signs are, are designed to show us where we are on our journey. And and throughout the Bible, the Holy Spirit has this great propensity to be utilized himself as a sign in the life of the church, in the lives of believers. And we miss that the Holy Spirit is still with us today, still giving us guidance through signs. Now, we don't go off and look for signs. Because we trust God's words. Because Jesus said regarding the Pharisees and Sadducees who were asking them to see a sign. He said, a wicked and evil generation seeks after a sign. But no sign will you be given except for the sign of Jonah. For Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. And so the, in the well, or the fish. And so the Son of God will be, the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the, in the heart of the earth. And so you have to understand that signs aren't necessarily God's first option. But he uses them nonetheless because sometimes he needs to use them to communicate to a variety of people in a variety of ways. A lot of us have difficult times of hearing God's voice. We say, I don't, I don't know the, the voice of God well enough. And because I'm not as familiar with God's voice, sometimes by default God will give us signs to show us what we need to do. This is interesting. 
So if you look throughout human history, one of the roles the Holy Spirit has played has been the one who has been like the patrol, the, the sign, or the sign on the side of the highway that tells you 10 miles to Miami, 14 miles to New York. Like the signs tell you if you're moving in the right direction. And, and this is contextualized with today's message regarding Isaiah. We, we've been in Job, and now we've been in Isaiah a couple of weeks. And understand, the context of Isaiah is one of, in a sense, hopelessness. Why? Because even though Israel was at the wealthiest point of its history, we, most scholars call it the Silver Age. During this particular time, uh, King Uzziah and Jotham ruled about 68 years. And they had unprecedented and unparalleled wealth. And even though they were ultra wealthy and prosperous, they were as far away from God as they could possibly be. And as a result, prophets started rising up to preach against Israel and Judah that they would soon fall. The Assyrian army was soon going to come and completely obliterate the northern kingdom. And some 120 some odd years later, the Babylonian army or the kingdom would come and basically take Israel, uh, Judah into captivity as well. But, but, but as these prophets are coming, it doesn't look like things are, are bad to, to, the, to the average person. If you, during that day and time, if they had CNN or Fox News or NSNBC or Newsy or YouTube, any average person would look and say, huh, the GDP is doing well. Our economy looks strong. Mm, they, just, they just got a bigger house down the street. Like, oh my goodness, did you see the car they just bought? That's awesome. I want one. They just got that new TV. I didn't know. They are past. I still have my 1080i TV. They are on 8,000K, 8, right? They're on 8,000K. I'm still back in 1080. I haven't even got to 4,000. Am I the only one in here? Oh, see, I'm, I, I don't even know if I need to get a, uh, I have a bunch of Blu-rays. I'm like, I'm advanced. I'm, I'm up to date. Now the Blu-rays are like 599. I'm going to Best Buy. I'm like, where the blue? Over here, sir. I'm like, what? All the Blu-rays in the little box. Because they're, they're a 4K Ultra. Started at 8K. Like, I, I'm behind. And if you were an average person during that day and time, you'd be like, wow, we're doing well. Israel's balling. That's what you would think. Because they're financially prosperous, but spiritually dead. And as a result, God starts raising up these prophets saying, judgment is coming. Now you have to understand, we live in a day and time, we, we, we don't want to hear, I've done wrong. Who, 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 if you tell somebody nowadays they've done wrong, get prepared. Number one, you've hurt their feelings, you've offended them, so you're probably going to go to jail for doing that. Right? But, 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 but number two, like, you, you can't tell somebody that, that you're doing wrong. But that, that's what prophets were doing. According to the law, you're doing wrong. And what happens is you get into this cycle when you willingly say, I am going to do it my way and not God's. Because ultimately the problem with Israel was one of trust. It's always the problem of humanity that we stop trusting God somewhere along the journey. And that's what's happening to Israel. They, they actually start bringing these other gods into the fold. Do you know why? Because they were looking at the other nations and they saw the other nations' prosperity, they saw their armies, they saw their quality of life, and they said, well, shoot, 
If they're doing that well, I want to do well too. So let's incorporate their faith into ours. We're not going to give up our God. We're just going to add to. It's called syncretism. That's, that's, the, that's a technical term. You're worshiping multiple gods. And they, and they did that. They, they would worship Baal and other gods, Asherah Pole. They would do all these other worship practices, but still thought they were faithfully coming to church worshiping God. And God is like, you are committing what? Idolatry. You're, you're having many different lovers. That, that's the analogy you often see in the Old Testament, particularly prophets regarding Israel's unfaithfulness. And as a result, God is angry. He is telling them, I'm going to punish you. Now understand what God says, he's going to punish you. You know what his hope is? That you repent, that you turn. God said, I'm going to pour out my wrath. And you know what his hope is that you do? Uh-oh, I'm going to stop doing it. You know that little meme, that little boy who comes around the corner, he goes, <laughs> and turns the other way. Do anybody know that meme? Like, it's the funniest one, right? His hope is that you walk up in there, and you see, oh, and you turn around, and you go, God's hope is that you turn. He's trying to save you. It's, it's like uh, if my boys were running wildly toward the street, and you saw me turn into dad mode, like, you look at me like, oh, pastor's all scary. But, but my job isn't to like harm them. I'm trying to prevent them from harm. And that's what God's trying to do to us all. When he, he yells, because God does it, he gets angry. Don't you understand that's what the day of the Lord is? It's God's wrath. Do you know what we're being saved from God? People don't even get that. Like we're being saved from God's wrath. This loving God that everybody thinks is so kind. He is kind, but he's a consuming fire. And so when he says, no, turn, he's trying to save your soul. But I know a lot of people don't want to hear that. Because they want to go to, I'm, being, I'm going to jump on the soapbox for just two seconds. I don't know what I'm going to do right now. Because most people just want to go to a church. That they just want to say, oh, and God loves you, so let's praise. And, and if you keep doing this, and everything will be fine, and there'll be, there'll be a street of gold, and everybody's hype, and everybody, ooh, that was, church was so good. But then you leave still going over a cliff. And so a long time ago, I said, this is real. And then I, I read the scripture says, you know what? Greater judgment is on the teacher. And I said, oh. <laughs> and I started sweating. Like I'm sweating right now. Because I remember that one day I'm going to stand in front of Jesus. And he's going to say, did you? He's going to say, watchman, when you were on the wall, did you warn them? And, and my, my challenge is always, is, look, I need to, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm, oh, I'm transparent today. I want to feed my family. I want the church to grow. But you know what? I can't compromise to do that. And, and you wouldn't want me to compromise. Because the man I would turn into is the man you all see on TV, the pastor going to jail, the pastor, that, that, that's the man who said, you know what? If I just compromise a little bit, God will keep me. But, but you know what? The church will grow. And then more people, and then we can do more ministry. You start justifying your sin. 
Now, it sounds like I'm just talking about me, but I'm talking about Israel. They were doing the exact same thing. They're like, we could just compromise a little bit because we need more tax money. We need a bigger military. We need more land. And they were getting all that. But they were drifting ever so slowly away from God. And so God's telling them, judgment is coming. You're going to be judged. You're, and he goes into detail of how he is going to punish them. And it's horrific. It is very detailed, very scary. But his hope isn't to just get them scared. He wants them to turn. And he begins to prophesy Isaiah over the course of 40 years, which eventually ends with him being cut in half. This man of God, filled by the Spirit, preaches over four different kings saying the same message. Repent, repent, repent. We talked about last week, which I think is very cool. The first 39 books... Oh, the first 39 chapters in Isaiah is similar to the first, what, 39 books of the Old Testament. The last 27 books of Isaiah, same as the last 27 books of the New Testament. Most people forget the very center of Isaiah. This is what, like, trip me out. Isaiah chapter 53, the very center of it. And everybody know what that, that chapter is about? What is it? It's about Jesus about him being crucified. So Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, is a condensed version of your entire Bible. The beginning of it, the first third out, is about judgment. The end is about salvation and glory. And so even though most scholars had a problem thinking Isaiah was one book, God has verified that time and time again. And this man prophesied kings that would come and reign over Israel. And it happened, just like he said. But today, we're going to talk about one specific prophecy that deals with the Holy Spirit. And you have to understand, man, I wish I had a cup. I do. It's not mine. Ooh, this is so cool. It's my wife's. And so you have to understand, whenever there's a prophecy, this is what most people miss. A prophecy is con it's like a cup being filled. Right? That's right, baby. So, so right now, if this was a prophecy, he said... Um, what prophecy? A virgin shall give birth. Help me out, somebody. To a son. And actually, that happened before Christ. Right? That, Jesus Christ coming born of a virgin, most people miss, wasn't the only time it happened. But it was the fulfillment. It's like me taking this and pouring water into this cup until it is what? Full. And so you have to understand when prophecies come, they come and they're constantly being filled until they're fulfilled. And that's what most people miss about prophecies. And so when, when you look in the Old Testament, God's saying this event is going to happen. It doesn't mean it's going to happen once. It's going to happen multiple times until it is fulfilled. It's a different way of looking at prophecy in contrast to the way we look at it. So for instance, um, let's go into the scripture today. Isaiah chapter 32. Oh, Sun Tzu. I got to quote him first. So, um, and this is, obviously this guy's not Christian, you know, but this, it's like, I thought like it was a good quote. He says, when envoys are sit with compliments in their mouths, it's a sign that the enemy wishes for a truth, right? It's just a way of interpreting. It's a sign. 
So if I'm in a battle, well, before the battle starts, and, and they send people over there, and they're being very complimentary, I know they don't want to fight. Now you don't got to, that, that's easy, right? Because if you know you're about to fight somebody, they're like, oh, 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 let's talk about it. Either, either they got a trick, or they don't want to fight. That's, that's, that's a sign. And the Holy Spirit is also a sign pointing to something God's trying to say. Next slide, please. Isaiah chapter 32, verses 1 through 4, it says, See, remember, at this time, people in Israel are confused about what's going on because it looks like the wicked people are what? Prospering. It looks like the wicked people are doing the best. And it looks like the good people are what? Getting tore up. Getting struggling. It looks like the good guys are losing and the bad guys are winning. And, and the righteous are looking at it like, what are we supposed to do? So now Isaiah speaks to the people who are faithful. Understand that during this day and time, everybody is going to be affected by other sin. There are righteous people in Israel during this time. We know that they're called the remnant. But even though there's a remnant that are righteous, understand the nation is going to be judged as a whole. Everyone is going to be affected by other sins. So that's what we have to understand. Just because some people say, well, my sin is not hurting anybody. It is. Sins of a nation will affect you if you're in that nation. This is biblical precedent of that. And so even though there are righteous people there, difficult times are coming for them all. It goes on to say, see, a king will reign in righteousness and rulers will rule with justice. Now, this is in contrast to what's currently happening. So in the northern kingdom, we know all the kings there are horrible. Uzziah at this time is gone, and a succession of bad kings come up, one being Manassas, right? So, so they're seeing all these bad kings and bad rulers. But what he's saying is a time is coming in the future where we're going to have a righteous king and also rulers or princes who will be righteous. Do you know who that righteous king is? Jesus. He's speaking about the millennial reign of Jesus. He will, Jesus Christ will rule on this planet for a thousand years. But understand, during his thousand year reign, there will be people on the earth who are still sinning. Who still hate God. Even with Jesus being here. You, you, people don't understand the gravity of sin. How evil it is. I, I, I want to ask a rhetorical question. Have you ever been in a situation where you know you shouldn't sin? You know you shouldn't sin. You don't want to sin. You try hard not to sin. But you still do what? Sin. And I'm not, I'll raise my hand for myself, but I know I'm not the only person here. You got to do that. I see it. I see it. But, 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 but the fact is people understand the mystery of iniquity. We don't understand how deep sin is, how much it's affected us, how bad we really are, given the opportunity. And as a result, Jesus has to rule on the planet well for a thousand years to show humanity that even with the best ruler possible, you're still going to rebel. And also, he, this part right here I like real quick. He says, and rulers will rule with that. That's actually the people ruling with Jesus. Do you know who those people are? Somebody. It's you. 
This, this, is, this is your scripture. You, yourself. This is you right here. You will be ruling with Jesus for this thousand years. You may be like a governor or a mayor. Some of you may be so faithful and loving to God. You'll be a president of a country. I, I don't know, but you're going to be ruling with Christ for a thousand years. And people, even though you're going to be like the bomb, you're going to be like John Maxwell times a thousand. You're going to be like, I don't, if I start naming presidents, I might get in trouble. You can be like any president you like in the past. And know what? It doesn't matter how awesome you are. You can be Abraham Lincoln. Not many people don't like Abraham Lincoln. You can be like Abraham Lincoln. You can be just like him. And people are still going to oppose you. Why? Because sin is still going to be on the planet when Jesus comes back. This is an important point. Two, it says, each one will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm. Now, if you have your version, most of y'all's version of that actually says a man, not each one. But, but here, the point of that scripture is, is, is supposed to point back to Jesus. It's supposed to be pointing back here if, if it's a man. Because what it's trying to signify is, in these different metaphors, is how will we interact with Jesus once he gets on the planet? This is how we'll need him. Jesus will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert, and like the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. Now, that's how God wants to be treated. It's almost like you're, you're in a, I remember one time I was in a counseling session and a young lady was mad at her husband because he played video games like all the time. No, I'll get on the sticks myself every now and then. But for whatever reason, she hated And ultimately, she came to that counseling session. She said this. She said, I want him to look at me like he looks at that PlayStation 2. And that's basically what that's, that's what God wants. Whatever we desire most on this planet. Anybody here ever fasted for like two or three days? And then you came off that fast and then you had something you, you were craving the whole time? And that sensation that happened in your body when you put it in your mouth? That's what it's saying right there. Anybody here been running on a hot day, dead tired? You've been running sprints after practice? You've been thinking about, man, if I just have some, some Gatorade, some water, and you finally get it and it just tastes colder than you've ever had and just refreshes you. That's what it's talking about. I was in Egypt, and the, and the shade, the shadows were hot. I was in the shadow, and I was burning. I was like, I got to go from this land. <laughs> I'm dying here. And I got inside, and the air conditioner, and I was like, oh, I felt euphoric. Like, that's how God wants to be wanted. Three. It says, then the eyes of those who see will no longer be closed, and the ears of those who hear will, will listen. And the reference there is speaking about when Isaiah heard that he'll preach this message, and they won't hear, they won't be able to respond. And what it's basically saying is during this day, this thousand years, people will finally be able to respond to God. Four, it says, their fearful heart will know and understand, and the stammering tongue will be fluid and clear. What it's saying, when, when now understand, he said, when the king comes, Everything will be at ease. There'll be peace. The person whose fearful heart won't just be rash anymore, won't just jump in the mess, but that person will have the capacity to stop and think thoroughly before they make decisions. 
<laughs> that might just be me right there. Also, it goes, it goes forward. Let me go back one real quick. It goes forward. It says the stammering tongue. Sometimes, did anybody ever get tongue-tied when you're trying to explain something? Like sometimes we have these physical limitations that hinder us. When the king comes, they'll be gone. Next it says, no longer will the fool, now, we know Mr. T called everybody a fool, but Jesus told us not to call people fools. He should be in fire, the, you know, fires of danger, fire of the hell. But, but here, the fool is the person who, who doesn't believe in God. That's what the Bible says the fool is in Psalm chapter 14. But here it says, the fool will no longer be called noble, nor the scoundrel highly respected. Now, this is very similar, if, I, if, we, if we're honest, to today, where, where people who are literally, we know, don't love God, who are revered by our culture. They're revered. Maybe because they got money. Maybe because they're, quote, quote, successful. And, and what it's saying here is that day is going to end. But understand, that day was happening in Israel at that time. The scoundrel, the fool, they were being exalted. They were an example. And people are like, I don't know how to live because I want to ball, I want to do good, I want to be successful. But do I have to compromise to do that? It says six for the fool only speaks folly. The godless person only speaks stuff about godliness. Their heart is bent on evil. They practice ungodliness. They spread error concerning the Lord. It said these people are just all the way off. Yet they are esteemed in the culture. It is a culture that is lost. And at this time, a prophet is lifted up by God to say, repent, because punishment is coming. Judgment is coming. And people are listening like, well, I don't want to listen to that. Let me go to another church. That's, I'm being honest. There were other, during this time, there were other prophets that were going around speaking. They were saying the opposite. They were saying what? Peace. Peace. That's what they were saying. When God was saying judgment, judgment. And God eventually rebuked them. Go read Jeremiah. I'm not making this up. During this time, there, there were prophets who were saying, look, you need to reject the culture. It's trying to kill you. But people were saying, but I don't, I don't want to be persecuted in my culture. I want to be okay. I want to have a nice life. I want to be at peace. And God saying, repent because you're compromising. Turn. But people are like, wait a minute. Oh, if, I, if I just hold on, if, if it'll eventually blow over. They'll leave me alone. No, they're coming after you too. It goes on to say, for the fools speak folly, the hearts are bent on evil, they practice ungodliness, spread error concerning the Lord. The hungry leave empty, and from the thirsty they withhold water. Now, this is the part I keep telling Bible-believing Christians about. Understand, helping the poor is our responsibility. I don't care what capitalistic thoughts you have. I'm not against capitalism. Don't shoot me. I'm not a socialist. I am a theist. I believe in the Bible. I'm a Christian. I'm biblical. I'll say that. Understand, understand this, we have an obligation as a church to help the poor. I'm not talking about any kind of economics. I know Keynesian theory. I did it in school. I understand it. I get it. I understand the invisible hand. I understand all that. This ain't talking about economics. This is talking about responsibility. This is about God's kingdom. I tell my sons now, when you see something on the ground, don't pass by. Pick it up. If it's in the house, don't wait for somebody else to come out and pick it up. You pick it up. That's all that. If you see people who need help, don't wait for the government, the state, the county to come in and help. You help. The Bible says, he who gives to the poor does what? Lends to God. Saying, 
7. Scoundrels use wicked methods. They make up evil schemes to destroy the poor with lies, even when the plea of the needy is just. What it's saying there is like a lot of people say, all oh, the poor people, these people are just lazy. They're not doing anything. They, they should just get a job. Here it's saying, these people are trying everything to do the right thing. And, and their cause is just, but these people are still planning and scheming so that they can't get out of their mess. God's saying, I'm judging these people. Next slide, please. It says, but the noble make noble plans. And by the noble deeds, they stand. Understand, I've said all this. Now understand, I'm not, gonna, I'm not hammering anybody specific. And I'm going to jump in here because the Bible says so. It says, the women of Jerusalem. Understand, this is what the Bible says. Don't come to me after this talking about pastor. I was offended. I get it. I had to read it and preach it because it was in the Bible. The women of Jerusalem, you women are so complacent. Rise up and listen to me, you daughters who feel secure. Hear what I have to say. In little more than a year, you who feel secure will tremble. The grape harvest will fail and the harvest of fruit will not come. What he's saying is, in one year's time, basically, judgment is coming. Now understand, these women right here aren't in the island by themselves. Most women had these lifestyle because of their what? Their husbands. So he's not simply focusing on the women, but the women were the, in a sense, they took the brunt of the, of the rebuke because they are the most comforted. They're the most protected people in all the land. The women of these wealthy men who were abusing the rest of the culture. Does that make sense? So in that regard, he's like, yeah, you women, even though you're not the one out there devising all these schemes, you're going to pay a price too. Because remember I said before, I gave you a caveat, everybody pays the price in the nation. Just not, just not the sinner, the entire nation was judged. So what he was trying, God was trying, he was trying to get everyone to turn. Women, men, children, everyone, turn, repent of your sin. In a little more than a year, you feel secure, will tremble. 11. Tremble, you complacent women. Shudder, you daughters who feel secure. Strip off your fine clothes and wrap yourself in rags. He like prep. You need to prep for this because you're about to go into slavery. For how long? 70 years. These people will never see freedom again in their lifetime. Next slide, please. Beat your breasts for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vines, and for the land, my people, in a land overgrown with thorns and briars. Yes, more for all the houses of merriment for the city of Reverly. So what he's saying is, look, this is time of harvest. Like, the, the grapevines are, it's time for them to be harvested, to feel, like, this is about, it's going to be a good season. But you're not going to be able to reap this because of your sin. You're not going to be able to benefit from all the labor. Because remember, this time Israel was willingly worshiping other gods. And when they got into trouble, they didn't trust God. The king didn't trust God. You know what they did? They went to Egypt for help. They went to other nations for help. They saw pacts and treaties. They saw anything except turning and trusting God. Now there were two kings that were going to come and actually did. Right? We talked about a righteous king, Josiah, and, and who was the other one? Hezekiah. 
Now, we know Hezekiah got in a little trouble, but nevertheless, these kings had, they led a, a revival in their, in their nation, in their land. But nevertheless, it didn't, it didn't matter because ultimately, Israel fell back into abject sin and paid a price for their unwillingness to repent and follow God. He goes on to say, the fortress will be abandoned, the noisy city deserted, the citadel and the watchtower become a wasteland forever. Understand this word forever, what it means, it doesn't mean eternity. Forever means that no human being will ever change this scenario. God is the only one who can fix it. How do we know that forever says that? Because when we get to verse 15, it says, till the spirit is poured out. Just to give you clarity there. So it says, the fortress will be abandoned, the noisy city deserted, the citadel and the watchtower become a wasteland forever or until God decides otherwise. The delight of donkeys, a pasture for flocks. We said, this land which is like so vibrant with life, they're expanding territories and cities, is going to become a wasteland because of the sins of the nation, because they're unwillingness to repent. But here, 15, and this is the part we're going to focus on today really quickly. Till the spirit is poured out on us from on high. And the desert becomes a fertile field. And the fertile field seems like a forest. Now understand this. Most people think this is the prophecy spoken of in Joel, right? Which happened in Acts chapter what? 2. When the Holy Spirit came in the upper room where we were at. When we were in Israel. Like most people think that's a one time event. But that's why I gave the caveat from the very beginning. In the beginning of this message, we talked about this prophecy and how it is being full what? Filled. This has yet to be completely fulfilled. The Holy Spirit was poured out, but understand, he is going to be poured out again in greater measure. Now we know specifically, he's talking here about the day during the millennial reign. During that time, the Holy Spirit will be in here in a larger measure than he is here today. Today, we as spirit-filled believers believe the Holy Spirit is here now. We believe that. And he's been here since the book of Acts. He's been here in 1901. The Holy Spirit is present now. But understand, he's going to be here in a greater measure. Now, what happens between now and then, that is what we need to worry about. Because the Holy Spirit is present with us today. And the Holy Spirit is a sign. This was the sign for those people who are faithful. For those people who are faithful to God, the remnant, they had a sign indicating that God was still with them. God was still on their side. There's a lot of people today who are Bible-believing people who don't believe the Holy Spirit is present on this planet. But we, he has to be or we're not, we're not saved. You have to have the Holy Spirit to be a Christian. The question is, are you under his complete control? And that's called being filled with the Spirit. Now understand, when the, when the king comes, the, the Holy Spirit will be here in a measure he has not been here before. But till that day, we have to understand that God has given us his sign, letting us know this day is coming. Next slide, please. The Lord's justice will dwell in the desert. His righteousness lives in the fertile field. The fruit of that righteousness will be peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. So understand this. That right now, we're still struggling. The church is still in a fight. But there is talking about this time of peace, of bliss. And we know the book of Acts happened. 
Way back in the day, we know that the Holy Spirit came, came out and poured out, and, and then people started speaking in tongues, and then different signs happened. But we don't see quietness and peace. So obviously this prophecy is still being filled in our lives. It says, 18, my people will live in peaceful dwelling places and secure homes and undisturbed places of rest. Though the hell flattens the forest and the city is leveled completely, how blessed you will be. So will your seed by every stream and let your cattle and donkeys range free. So what it's talking about is blessing, plenty. You'll be living in a place where even though there are some harsh environments, you're going to be blessed. And it's speaking about a time in the future. Now to understand the Holy Spirit is here as a sign to show you what's coming. To encourage you that you're on the right path. Got a couple points that we're done for the day. Point number one, I can't see the clock, so that's why I have no idea what time it is. Somebody just yell at it real quick. Oh, see? We're wailing. Two couple points were done for the day. Point number one. The pouring out of the Spirit of God is indication that the righteous kingdom of God is almost here. So understand the Holy Spirit. When you see him working in humanity, understand God's kingdom is close. That's the sign. God's kingdom is close. Next point. Understand what the role of the Holy Spirit is in the course of human history. Yes, the Holy Spirit is designed to work powers and wonders and miracles, but ultimately he's designed to help encourage you to point to Christ, to get you to trust him more. That's why he's here. To get you to believe Jesus' words. To get you to trust the character of God. Next slide. So what do you do? Prepare for this kingdom that's coming. In one moment, human history can be completely altered. And many of you have been through traumatic events in your life, and you know when those events happen, the things you thought were most important become what? Not that important. We are really a couple of events away. Of let, let a major war happen on, the, on, our, on our coast, somewhere in America. Like the things we value will change in a second. Like let, let somebody drop an EMP somewhere here in Minnesota. Like, our way of life will completely change in a second. Our country will... Now, I, I didn't watch Little Houses of Prayer that much, but I know it was cold living up here without electricity. I'm just trying to say, right? So I'm going to have to move. I'm sorry. I love your church, but I don't know how effective I could be without electricity up in Minnesota, I'm just trying to say. Right? But we're just one of it away. Understand, when the kingdom of God comes, everything will change and will never be the same again. God has a point. Remember, Israel is past the point of no return. They can't, they can't be saved. God is saying, you're being judged. Judah still had a chance. Next slide. Benefit from the fruit of righteousness. Benefit from the, which will be peace, quietness, and confidence forever. Because you are a believer, you should have a different attitude, different disposition than other people. Now, in order for you to, they say, appropriate that, it comes from you spending time with God, yielding to God. But if you're not spending time with God, yielding to His Spirit, you have a difficult time accessing God's Spirit in your life. You have this currently, peace, which passes all understanding. It comes from God. You have it because the Holy Spirit is in you. Next slide. 
The sign of the Holy Spirit is the last exit on the road for humanity. I, I share this, I share a lot of Facebook posts and I get in trouble for like nine of them, 99 of them. But I share a lot. I just, anything, you know, I shoot it and then I just talk, right? Because that's how I learn. Baby, laughing because you understand my style. I get yelled at work. People say, you never clarify your stance on anything. I said, I just like to have the conversation. <laughs> understand the sign of the Holy Spirit is the last exit. It's, this is the, it's the end. This is the end game. Understand there's, there's no more exits. Once the Holy Spirit came, it's, it's over. And, and even though we are here today, understand, like, regardless of what they say or what people think on, on Facebook or, or the world, the truth is, like, this is it. And we are living in this time. And I can't, I can't scare you or I, I can't shake you. I can't say, wake up. But if you're asleep, wake up. The kingdom of heaven is near. That was Jesus' message 2,000 years ago. Think about it. He was trying to say, look, there's no, you don't get to do this over. You got one chance at this. I always use the analogy of playing pro football. I say, you know what? I made it to the NFL, but I didn't become a Hall of Famer. I didn't become a pro bowler. Some people say, but you made it to the NFL. I'm like, yeah, I made it, but. And what I'm trying to say is, in God's kingdom, there's only Hall of Famers. There's only Hall of Famers. That's it. When Jesus says, well done, it's because you've been enshrined, inducted into the true Hall of Fame. Will you be inducted today? Are you committed today? It's a difficult day. Matter of fact, it looks a lot like the day we had here we talked about. How did the righteous make it? Because they, they live by their faithfulness. Can we bow our heads? Pray. Lord God, there's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of people who are prospering who I'm just confused about why they prosper, Lord God, but you're not confused. So I ask you, Father God, I pray that we as a church, Lord, stand for you faithfully and righteously we honor you I pray Father God that we remain faithful unto thee we pray for more of your Holy Spirit to be a part of our lives I pray we honor you every step of the way in Jesus name Amen this has been a presentation of Endurance Church for more about the ministry head to endurancechurch.org Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong. You say you want my heart, you want my heart.
I don't have 